Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job, the podcast where we centre our internal experiences as sources of comfort, nourishment and creativity. My name is Kate. I'm the author of Second Spring, the self-care guide to menopause. And I'm a writer, a mentor, a speaker, artist and facilitator. The other thing I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And this is what Life and Inside Job is all about. If you are in perimenopause, menopause or your second spring or summer, you might enjoy the wealth of yoga nidras, at a glance graphics of the inner seasons, meditations and workshops, all free and easy to access. Just click on the button that says start here on my website and that address is katecodrington.co.uk. It is my delight to hold space for you to deepen into your body wisdom and your soul's longing so that you can refine trust in your cyclical nature and use the cues from your inner seasons to navigate with presence and delight into the second cycle of your life. And this can be one-to-one sessions with the Menopause Doula Service, or I make it really easy for you to organise a retreat day, a circle, workshop or talks for your community. Just grab a free 15-minute session and we can figure out what might work for you over a cup of tea. Okay, back to the podcast. Today, my guest is photographer Rosie Barnes, who I first came across through her exhibition, No You're Not, which is a striking series of portraits and statements from autistic women who have been successful in academia and business. Two images from this series have been included in the prestigious Taylor Wessing Photographic Portrait Prize at the National Gallery in London. Rosie is a documentary and fine art photographer with a particular interest in the relationship with the natural world. And she also makes work about disability and difference, community and family. She has exhibited internationally, most recently in Sweden and China, and has been commissioned by The Guardian, the FT and the Welcome Collection, amongst others. I am so honoured that she's here to talk to us. We hear about her work and the images of autistic women, the value of shyness, Rose's route into a career in photography, her haunting work around nature and our relationship to nature, what it's like to see her work exhibited on a huge scale and Rose's fascinating project to create a truly integrated community housing project. Rosie, I was delighted to see that some of your work is included in the Taylor Wessing Photographic Portrait Prize at the National Portrait Gallery. Could you say a bit about the pieces that were included, please? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Yes, so, um, I mean, the Taylor Wessing is such a, first of all, I'll say the Taylor Wessing um, exhibition that's in conjunction with the National Portrait Gallery is really tricky to um get into and um 
there are thousands and thousands of entries um, from across the globe. So it feels always, it does feel a little bit like a lottery to get in, but it's not entirely a lottery. So I was absolutely, yeah, delighted this year to get two in because there's only 51 in the exhibition. And I submitted a couple of portraits from, uh, well, the ones that are in are a couple of portraits from um, project that I've been working on for a couple of years, a few years actually. Um, it's been quite a slow project um, called that I called No You're Not, um, which is a portrait about autistic women. And um, the No You're Not came about because um, almost every single women woman I um, photographed and interviewed um, at some point during the during the chat we had said that you know when they disclosed the fact they were autistic to family or friends or colleagues almost always you know well always actually somebody's response would be no you're not you know you can't be because you've you know got a career you've got you know you've got good eye contact uh, you've got a sense of humor you're um you know you've got friends you've got a relationship you're a parent you know all sorts of um comments like that and I just thought actually yes that's quite a good title for the work because I couldn't really I was struggling a bit with how to have a title for it and that's um what I came up with and it's kind of stuck and it's been quite effective really I suppose but anyway so two yeah two portraits um are in there and I'm so pleased they are because I think still um it's an area that's really misunderstood. Well, I think the whole area of autism generally is still, I mean, it's come on, people's understanding has come on a long way in the last sort of 10 years, I'd say, even in the last couple of years, but certainly the experience of autistic girls and women has lagged behind. So it's really great to have them in such a platform, you know, it's, it, it, as Taylor Wessing, because it's a portrait prize that people do really take notice of and you know and it's much visited by the public and I did push for them they don't normally put captions up but I pushed in the exhibition to at least have a couple of sentences um with each of the portraits um so that's really good and I've already had quite a lot of feedback and lots of people lots of women have contacted me saying this you know really supportive comments basically saying how much the difference it makes to them and that they also don't feel so alone anymore. I've had quite a few emails from women saying, you know, thanks for doing this project because I always feel very alone with it. Um, but but now I can see I'm not, you know, not the only one. So, yeah, it's been been a great thing to do. Um, I'm and so, I'm continuing I'm so, it. I'm so, I'm so pleased too. <laughs> I'm very, very pleased. I I came across the, your series of portraits in Oxford at an exhibition in Oxford and they all have um, a sort of a dialogue, no it's not dialogue, it's a sort of statement next to them written by the people in the photographs about, about their lives. Yeah and that's really important to me that the words are as important, you know, as significant as the images um, because I do think you know, some people sometimes say, oh, you know, I don't think those words, not not in this project particularly, but often as a photographer, if I put too much information with an image, some people say, oh, no, you don't really need the words. And I always argue that point that, oh, absolutely you do. 
Um, I mean, it depends what it is, but I think for this particularly, I don't want anyone to be, there's no point in somebody looking at a couple of nice portraits and not knowing anything about them or not. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that that's important to me. Um, yeah, and I think the reason why the, 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 that it started was because I used to run a support group for parents um, whose kids are autistic and they very often well we often discuss as and it was tended to be pretty much 100% mothers that would come and often people would discuss that their part they might thought maybe their partners or you know husbands whatever were autistic but no one ever I remember a day when a one woman said, do you know, she said, I'm starting to consider if I might be autistic, you know. And even though we're there in this running this support group and we've all got, you know, even there it was kind of really, you know, there was a, there was a sort of surely not, you know, almost a sort of surely not moment, sort of no, you're not almost. Uh, and then there was another woman that said, yeah, well, I find this, this, this and this really hard. And I know I'm really good at this thing, but I find, you know, or my career hasn't been quite what it could be or, you know, what it, you know, how I was sort of billed as as being when I left school or university or, you know. And, I, I, yeah, I remember with the, uh, chatting with Pam, who I ran the, the support group with afterwards and saying, gosh, you know, we're not we should really be considering this. And this is only about, I don't know, maybe six years ago, something like that. Um, and of course now that seems mad to me that that probably, you know, a number of us, you know, uh, are on the spectrum. Um, so anyway, that's, and then I started thinking, oh, I'm going to go and seek out some women who, on the face of it, initially it was really about work, you know, women who'd achieved a lot in their careers or academically. Um, I think I'm I'm continuing it and I'm now not so focused on that. But I just want I, I thought it was a good device to 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 pick the women who who really nobody would believe because of this people holding on to this idea of um you know academic achievement um as being the sort of top of the tree almost if you've got academic achievement or you know a good career that means that everything else in your life must be amazing and easy you know because you've achieved the most difficult thing of all apparently which obviously is nonsense um so that's how that's how the project started really <clears throat> and um i think i've interviewed now about 25 photographed and interviewed about 25 women um yeah so I'm going to keep going with it because what I'd really like to do is turn it into a book. And in fact, this week I've had two separate messages from women saying, oh, I really hope one day you can. T I'd really like to have this as a book that I could read through. Mm. Um, so that's my kind of aim. So but it's it's not easy publishing a book. But let's see. Yeah. And as as more awareness grows. And as more people see these images because they're in, you know, this big London gallery, it also educates girls as well because there are an increasing number of girls as, as awareness grows that um, are being diagnosed. Yeah. And it will inspire them as well to say, oh, well, maybe I could achieve X, Y and Z, whatever their dreams and longing, yeah. longings are. Yeah, absolutely. And just not feel kind of 
as somebody said one I don't think it's one of the people in, in that's in Taylor Westing but somebody said something about um living a heart living a half life um and feeling broken feeling sort of broken as a as a as a human being and, and not understanding why but inevitably just ending up sort of blaming yourself for being sort of broken in some way mm. and of course it's not it's not the case at all um but I suppose while we're all living in a world that considers you know the neurotypical way to be the standard way of in all respects um you know until people can actually just consider that there are different neurotypes mm. that's um how it'll how it'll continue to be I think but I think you know there's people are much I, I mean I think the other thing about women is that um um Jane who's one of the women in the Taylor Wessing she said I think I haven't got it I should have it in front of me shouldn't I but she said something like um I don't think the actual experience of being autistic itself is that different for men or women it's just that women have learned to fake it better and I just thought wow yeah that sort of sums it up really um in many respects um you know and I think that the 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 you know men are are allowed to be so you know a, a mat you know if you go to a party and there's a man sort of standing alone kind of not really speaking to anyone that's totally acceptable isn't it but a woman is required to be you know jolly and smiley and you know all those social things in a way that man isn't you know and women are, are considered to be better communicators than men so there's an expectation there always that that um they they should be so yeah that's there's a lot of things there but it's it's important stuff yeah I'm, I'm really caught by this idea of it being okay for men to be standing alone and not talking in a social situation but not women I've never really had that thought quite so clearly but I, I was at a party the other weekend and I didn't want to talk to anybody but I was really enjoying myself. I was really enjoying watching people and enjoying the atmosphere and feeling, you know, open-hearted and warm. But I just didn't have that many words. Yeah. And I noticed that I was kind of gurning. <laughs> I was kind of smiling, <laughs> over, over-smiling in the corner to kind of, you know, as a kind of defence of I'm okay. Yeah. And indeed, people, you know, kind people did come up and say how you doing blah blah yeah I think I, I mean I'll check I, if I, I was okay I can, I can relate to that I can also relate to being to be I mean I was always at you know at school and stuff I was always sort of on the edge of friendship groups and I, but I was the sort of a I think I was considered to be the observer and I liked that role actually I liked being the one that was kind of there to I also don't don't really well I don't anymore at all but I didn't really ever drink alcohol or I didn't really like drinking alcohol but there was a sort of peer pressure to do it but I actually quite <laughs> I quite liked being the one that would sort of watch what was going on as everybody unraveled and then I could tell everyone what what happened and what was said and what you know the next day at school or you know wherever I quite like taking on that role and I suppose but I I think I was always an observer you know I think as a child I was always 
you know, liked to, um, you know, I was quite, I mean, I was always accused of being a daydreamer, actually, which just very recently I thought of as a positive thing. Because actually I was thinking, I wasn't, I wasn't not doing anything. I was actually thinking quite deeply about stuff. Um, so I kind of sort of the, the, the person, I sometimes go and do talks in schools and, and um, you know, about photography to like secondary schools who are doing GCSE or A-level photography or universities. And I often kick off with, it's okay to be shy and it's okay. And it's actually really great to be an observer um you know the people that are talking non-stop are probably missing out on so much interesting stuff so um and often I get a couple of sort of slightly awkward shy people coming up to me afterwards to say thank you for saying that um because it's always considered to not be a great uh characteristic is it to be quiet um Anyway, I'm slightly going off the subject. No, I think I know. No, I think we're bang on the subject because introversion in our society is seen as as um, less positive as a less positive as attribute than extroversion. Yeah, but you, I, I can hear clearly from what you're saying that the combination of observing and daydreaming has made clearly an excellent photographer. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I just, um, yeah, I'm not a great one for research. I don't read actually very much. I'm not a great reader. I, I mean, I'm in, I, 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 of fiction, that is. I, 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 I always struggled a bit with reading. And um, sometimes like on holiday or something, I look around and everyone's reading. And I think, oh, I'm sure I should be doing this, you know. But what I like to do is just just look around me and just think. And things kind of come to me or, you know, like, for example, you know, why is everyone reading and I'm not? You know, what's happening? You know, I, I, I kind of continually thinking about what's going on and why people are the way. I probably should have studied psychology or something, but I didn't. But, yeah, um, so I do. Maybe I do see things in a way. Um, yeah. When you were a child, what, what was your... Did you draw or paint or, you know? No, so at school there was art. No, so at school, the sort of art at school was all about painting or pottery or, I don't know, things like that. And I didn't do any of those things. But I was, my dad gave me his camera when I was about 10. And it was just an absolute revelation. So I used to spend a lot of time photographing things, but I didn't tell anybody. And I had my bedroom walls were absolutely covered in photographs that I'd cut out of newspapers, magazines, you know, postcards. You know, I'd have a whole jumble of different images all over. There was no kind of reference points, but um, I just like looking at photographs and seeing how people had framed things and and stuff like that so that was my kind of world but it was very private I didn't tell anyone no one at school knew that I I mean the idea of having a photography class that would have been amazing um at school but no it was so yeah nobody knew that I did it really I didn't and it never even occurred to me that it could be a kind of job or a career or you know I was told that I wasn't sort of university material <laughs> um and so I ended up being a secretary, which I quite liked as well. But but I always carried on taking pictures. And then eventually I 
I was working in an advertising agency where obviously photography was used a lot and I it was it seems so crazy but the penny dropped it's like oh oh so people can do that as a job can they so I thought oh maybe I'll go and study some photography but I wasn't interested in that kind of photography the, the sort of advertising commercial photography you know studio often studio based type photography as it was then didn't interest me at all I was kind of interested in ideas and telling stories and trying to get people to think through images yeah so that's sort of what I try to do in lots of different subjects that I try and tackle visually yeah you have a really strong series about the natural world as well could you tell us a bit about that please yes and I've got a few offshoots from that as well but I um I've got a series um that I originally called human nature but actually I've changed the title of it recently based on a really interesting quote that I found from like this 18th century um called so I've called it a, a peculiar convenience um because I'm interested in how we as human beings kind of interact with our natural surroundings and it started off I started it many years ago and it was it was kind of about what I was interested in was yeah how we sort of package nature how we sort of present it um and I think the first image that I took that I thought oh yeah this really works well and it's a very popular image in fact it was in the this year's um Royal Academy summer show and I thought oh I'll go to city well actually I was photographing in city farms around London because I grew up in the countryside so I'm always drawn to the sort of natural spaces and I went to visit a city farm and I thought oh this is really interesting I'll do a project about city farms so I went to lot I mean there's a lot well I don't know how many there are now but I mean at the time there were seven or eight I think and I was at the one in Finchley and there was a um a pond like a, a a pond a very sort of dirty pond that was sort of inside a sort of semi-open part of a building um there were a couple of ducks on it I mean they they kind of could go outside as well but there was this sort of pond area but on the wall behind it somebody had painted this in beautiful uh, mural of a kind of idyllic alpine scene and so I shot a few frames of the of these ducks on it and and lots of other things on the, the farm and then but it wasn't until I was looking at all of them and I was thinking well this is quite interesting about the farms but it's not it's not actually that you know it was more like you know just documentary pictures of all these farms and I just thought actually that's not and then but then when I looked at one of the frames of this duck that was sort of flapping its wings in front of this thing I thought ah that's more interesting that's that's more about you know this this you know you know this um sort of utopia I suppose um that doesn't really exist well it does obviously in the wild so I anyway so I started thinking about all the ways that humans and nature kind of collide, um, sort of non-human life. And I did things like I went to the, there's a there's a storeroom at Heathrow Airport that I managed to get access to where they seize all the illegally imported um, 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 sort of illegal 
um, endangered species and derivatives of like sort of snake handbags and stuff like that. Wow. That's Which was weird. Like the most... That's weird and wonderful. Couldn't yeah, yeah. It was an amazing environment. It was like a sort of prefab with sort of office shelves with like, you know, a, a stuffed chimpanzee or an elephant's foot that has been turned into an umbrella stand oh. and, you know, all this extraordinary stuff. And I visited taxidermists and all sorts of places, zoos. And so I started to kind of collect these images that sort of represented those thoughts. But more recently, and I've kind of continued with it, more recently I was looking at them again thinking now, at the time that I started it, I wasn't thinking about climate change. I wasn't thinking about anything like that. But now I sort of look at them and they were they were a kind of, kind of comedic, you know, they were fun. They were sort of, people would enjoy them you know but they weren't they were about something but it didn't seem kind of very important now I look back at them again and I think gosh yes they're almost there's almost something in there about you know how we've got because of the way that we sort of package and often sort of sanitize nature um it feels like there's some clues in there almost as to how we've kind of got to the place that we're at now whereby you know obviously we've got this sort of climate catastrophe um on the horizon or already here and I don't know so somehow it says something about that as well and then I've had some I've got some offshoots so I've got a recent series that I'm working on so if anyone at anyone is out there who's got a really good dog portrait painting at home I've been photographing people's dog portraits inside their homes so in situ um because I think again it's quite interesting that people um paint um I just think about people's priorities in a way and that people have um paintings um commissioned of their pets in a way that they wouldn't have of their own families and 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 put them in very prominent places in their homes um you know it's it's on the one hand a kind of playful project but again it's sort of as as a, as a collection it says something i think about sort of where we're at on this planet um it, it, sort of where we found ourselves in a way yeah mm-hmm. um so sorry i feel like i'm talking too much it's a podcast <laughs> you're meant to (laughs) that's the point (laughs) but I think I think that that is really that series is really prescient because as a species we you know I hear a lot people say oh I love nature I love trees I find such a uh, you know, it's so soothing to go out into into nature and to, you know, and I, I say that a lot myself and it's true. But on the other hand, it it's it's very managed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, it's packaged I, and it, it's it's kind of diminutive and kind of shrunk out there as I sit in my kind of well, the heating's not on these days so much. No, no, in my centrally, in my comfy, centrally heated home, I want to keep nature out there, and it's the same. I find it. I'm a gardener, and I find it's a a lot oh. in gardening. There's this thing between you want. I want to encourage biodiversity, but I also want to keep it under control because I because it's a garden. 
and it's ornamental yeah. and this kind of interplay between the two yeah. is always and of course and of course dynamic. You know, of course I mean that's all just sort of obvious I suppose you know as as we sort of live our lives but yeah I think there's something the idea of sort of conquering nature uh you know the the, the terminology used you know con, con you know and people would climb Everest you know it was conquering there's sort of control involved I think and um and now, and of course we can't, now here we are and we can't control nature. You know, we can't sort of put it, put it back in its box, can we? When, we, when it doesn't, when it doesn't suit us. Um, so yeah, that's, so I suppose there's some themes, I suppose I sort of try and, I suppose what I'm trying to do, I suppose is grapple with some quite weighty themes, but in a, in a way that's quite accessible um and a bit humorous sometimes because I do think that you know banging somebody over the head with really depressing imagery about some big topic doesn't actually people just switch off because they it's too big and they don't really want to think about it whereas a kind of more quiet approach in some ways I think is more effective your images yeah. are quite quiet they they there's a lot of I was saying mentioning to you earlier there's a lot of space around things it allows when you look at them the space to think about what I'm seeing very uncluttered yes and I tend to position things centrally in the in the frame I don't know I've always sort of done that which is probably breaking the rules of the kind of uh the camera club I'm always slightly amused but I mean I love the fact that camera clubs exist and I'm not being snooty about that at all but there, there are rules, you know, about where your horizon should be and, you know, stuff like that. And I just think, oh, it's just such nonsense. Um, you know, what makes a, a perfect photograph? Or, you know, it's just doesn't doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's... Did you have that kind of training when you were... Oh, no, 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 no. Um, no. No, I don't know really why I brought that up, but <laughs> I just know that there are some rules around photography. Uh, I mean, probably not the photography world I suppose that I'm in but um I just think I, I just hate the idea that people are made to feel like their image isn't good enough because they haven't considered the I don't know I think there's a rule about thirds or something no third the image should have sky and a third should be yeah anyway it's just but I don't know I've always felt like I've sort of centrally placed things but yeah given them space mm. um because I, yeah, that is what I'm trying to do is to get people to just stand back for a moment and just have a think about what's there or, or why I've chosen that. Because sometimes it's maybe a bit obscure or, um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious when you, you go somewhere and see all your, your images up on a wall, what's that like? I mean, do you feel, do you feel a sense of, do you see yourself reflected back? Do you feel a sense of satisfaction? What What, what is it like to see all that stuff that you've created? Uh, yes, I mean, it's a great feeling. I mean, last, oh, I had a great thing last year. Oh, another, uh, another sort of offshoot from the, the sort of nature, human nature project um, is that I photograph um, lights that, because I've always, I don't know, lights are a source of um, 
difficulty for me in a way because I'm very light sensitive so I don't like like you know strip lights and I can't concentrate in a room with a strip light I'm forever going into rooms and saying to people does anyone if it's a meeting or something does anybody mind if we switch the lights off you know because I, I can't actually concentrate very well with lights on and also my family uh, my dad particularly would always tell us as children you know to you know when you leave a room turn the light off um and it sort of stuck with me and I was always bothered you know living in a city in London you know looking at tower blocks at night full of lights on and and all the rest of it but then I started to photograph lights that are left on in in uh, outdoors you know like street lights and stuff because I'm quite interested in why one why are they left on like is it some malfunction or like how does that whole system of public lighting work you know is somebody literally turning a switch I mean I'm sure it's all timed and everything but that interests me but also I think there's quite a beauty in a light that's on in within the daylight anyway I'm slightly going off but the reason I'm saying that is because I was thrilled last year it was about this time it was this time last year actually I had a whole series of my lights left on um, and again it's it there's a something about our use of electricity and um sort of casual wastage of resources that kind of thing um so I was really um thrilled last year to be asked to show that work in Sweden um and it was an outdoor exhibition so that was sorry I've slightly digressed but going back to how do I feel it was absolutely amazing to have um in a sort of city so it was out of a gallery space um which I really like because I really like I also really like people to people to see stuff you know if it's in a gallery space only the kind of gallery going crowd will we'll see them but it was in the sort of main shopping street I had 12 huge images sort of bigger than me um shown there that was a great thrill but um yeah I mean it's important it's it's yeah it's always great to see work up I mean it's it's a great feeling um I d um when I think it's yeah, as I said I think it's important I did a, a really nice project a few years ago with a um about carers um one it was Wandsworth Carers and Wandsworth Arts asked me to do this project with five carers, people carers being people caring for family members at home. And the exhibition, in the end, we sort of worked on it together. So it was my images and the carers also took their own images. And it was in a big shopping centre setting, a big local shopping centre. So there was the footfall was incredible. And it was seen by lots of people who, for one reason or another, were very much affected by the subject matter. So, um, and again, it was wonderful, you know, it wasn't in a gallery space, but if it had been, it it would have missed all the people that I was seeking to include and, and affect, I suppose, in that way. But, um, so yeah, that's important to me where it hangs yeah um, and that in that way the unseen work of caring gets very visible and that that's a yes. wonderful thing yeah and I'm pleased as well that Taylor Wessing I've just heard that Taylor Wessing um is going to to tour actually this year to the Scottish Portrait Gallery National Portrait Gallery mm -hmm. next summer so that's great so if anyone's listening in Scotland yeah. um they could go and see show and it's a fantastic show I think this year particularly I really like it because I think 
previously sometimes it's a little bit um it's quite a few images of celebrities and this year there's only one celebrity that i could see in the show and it's marcus rashford but it's very much not a kind of celeb type portrait of him um and of course he's there I, well i think of him now almost less of a footballer and more of, of a kind of amazing advocate for um you know the, his cause the free school meals and stuff so social uh, campaign it's yeah. kind of cheating it's kind of cheaty to put a picture of a celebrity in isn't it it's kind of yeah attention I mean, seeking cheatiness well i think yeah there has been really good image good images of portrait uh, uh, portraits of, uh, of celebrities but I quite I, I think it was quite noticeable this year actually that it that it wasn't it didn't feel like that it felt a bit different so yeah I'm pleased to be in this year the other thing um I I'd like to ask you which I ask all guests is um uh, a, a tip for having a, a happy inside life I guess to Try and be true to yourself and be not. There's so much pressure, isn't there, in this world to be. You know, I mentioned peer pressure earlier. And of course, so many of the women that I've interviewed for No, You're Not, who have spent a lifetime kind of masking. And, and in the end, it's not sustainable. Um, I'll tell you what I wouldn't mind talking about. Mm. And this is connected to my son. Um, my eldest son, um, who has he's autistic and he has a learning disability, um, he um, is at an age where we're starting to think about kind of supported housing for him, and it's just shocking, <laughs> absolutely shocking to me how little voice or choice he has in the matter. Um, I mean, any young person of his age would you know, who wants to leave home and be thinking, you know, they will make all sorts of decisions based on who they want to live with, their friends, you know, which part of the, you know, if they if they want to live close to home or they want to move to another city or they want to, you know, there's so many aspects of leaving home that require thought and decision-making and stuff like that. And with my son, it's not really open that sort of isn't open to him and I also find and there's very little that's even slightly suitable as far as I'm concerned for him and if there is anything what I, I have been thinking about a lot is the idea that you know when he um was first um diagnosed when he was in primary school um everything is all the buzzwords are all about inclusivity you know that sort of go uh, across the board inclusivity and reaching independent you know level of independence and I just think well hang on a minute so when you get to so he's now sort of tipped off the cliff of you know the comfort of his EHCP that's the education health and care plan for people with disabilities young people with children with disabilities which cuts off at 25 and so he's now in adult services um suddenly there's no inclusivity as far as housing goes is that he if he if there is anything suitable it'll be or not suitable as as I see it is that it's putting everyone that has similar difficulties all together in one place and I think well that's 
that's not inclusive. That's the absolute opposite of inclusive. And it doesn't help people like him and it doesn't help the rest of us, the rest of society. So, you know, it's not how we should all be living. We shouldn't all be living. We should have a much sort of more open and intergenerational and, you know, you know, support needs should be very much part of, you know, other people's neighbours' support needs should be part of a community. Not that everyone who has a support need needs to go and live together with other people with support needs. I, I don't know. I feel, it just seems so obvious to me. And I've been researching it and I found a, an amazing place in America that has kind of had a family that sort of had the same feelings as I've and thoughts that I've been having. Um, so I'm I have no skills to do this, but I'm wanting to try and set up and especially in an urban area. That's the other thing people tend to you know it's much easier to house which I hate that expression as well people um like my son maybe in 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 a non-urban area and of course I understand why it's because land is cheaper and da, da, da. but actually you know things like employment um possibilities more often in the city also he's grown up in the city he's a city boy why should he suddenly have to leave um to go and live somewhere, you know, and those places are also places where, yes, people with similar needs all live together. And I just think it's very wrong. And I just think we need to be thinking a lot harder about how we, yeah, not just people with support needs, but I mean, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who um, works for the National Centre for Inclusion, and she said, um, for adults and that's adults with learning disabilities and she said yes near, she lives in east london somewhere and she said yeah all around her there are these blocks of flats going up and they're all one bedroom so she said how on earth would you you wouldn't move into a one bedroom you, you couldn't you know move into a block of flats of one bedroom flats and then think a few years down the line oh i really like living here i like my neighbors you know I, i'd like to make a life here for myself and start a family because you can't because <laughs> you've only got one bedroom I just think there's not enough thought that's being put into this at all. Um, anyway, so I'm, heaven knows how I'm going to do it, but I'm trying to set up some kind of urban community of sort of integrated living for all sorts of people. Um, and I think also it's, it's, the same, it's the same with um, age, isn't it? We we live disconnected from our old people. Oh, so. yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got we've got lovely couple of lovely neighbours, few neighbours who are kind of elderly. Elderly, is that the right word? I don't like saying that because I don't really think of them like that. And one of them was saying to me the other day, she was saying, I don't I don't want to go. You know, the, the, the answer always is that you can't quite manage at home for whatever reason or maybe, you know, your mobility isn't as great. So you need to move somewhere else. And it's always some kind of community for older people she's saying I don't want to live in a place like that I want to live in a place where I've got neighbours with kids and you know young people single people people who are doing interesting you know starting out their careers you know I don't want to suddenly just go and live with people who are all the same age as me so it's a similar kind of feeling and it's I don't think people and I think it's important for people that don't have support needs not just important but I think people that don't have support needs also, it's important to have, uh, I'm going to get tongue-tied saying it, but to, to have a role as a, a, 
as a neighbor who cares about you know I mean that is what a community isn't it people actually enjoy supporting each other otherwise we all just shut our front doors and only think about ourselves which you know is a thing I think very much and, and not a good thing for anyone so yeah that's another passion of mine that I don't know if I'm going to be able to achieve it or not but there'll be there'll be lots of people listening to this podcast hopefully <laughs> oh good well if there's anybody out there who has ideas I mean I think I've written up a proposal which I'm happy to share with anybody um I've sent it to all sorts of people it comes back 100% people agree and are positive about it the tricky thing is actually pushing something forward and how to make something like this happen and it's something that could be rolled out across, you know, it sort of could have national inspiration or should have national inspiration, um, aspirations, national, asp sorry, I'll say that again. Very hard it's, to say. It's something that should have national aspirations. Yeah, it's not just, it's not just for here. It's not just for London, but of course that's where we are. And that's where I'm picking the worst possible place to do it. Yes, it would be easier to do how it. How do they get hold of you, Rosie? Um, you? On my, they could email me. Rosie at rosiebarnes.com. Okay. Um, and I'm on Instagram as well. I'm at Rosie Barnes Photo. Um, if anybody wants to see any more of my work, but also could contact me via there. But yeah, so that's 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 a big thing at the moment. Yeah. You can see Rose's image at the National Gallery in London until the 18th of December and in the Scottish National Portrait Gallery in Edinburgh next year in 2023. And you can find her work on her site at Rosie Barnes, that's R-O-S-I-E, then Barnes with an E-S, B-A-R-N-E-S dot com. And on Instagram at Rosie Barnes Photo. In the notes, I've added a link to the No, She's Not series, which is online at the Welcome Collection. And if you're interested in hearing more about autism in women and non-binary people, there are two previous Life and Inside Job podcast episodes from this summer that you will probably enjoy. My book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite bookshop. And if you like the sound of using the seasons as a guide to life, even and especially if you don't have a menstrual cycle, you might enjoy the medicine circle process that I offer one-to-one -one and for groups. Just check out my website where you'll find a treasure trove of free yoga nidras, visual guides, meditations, workshops, articles, lots of podcasts and all kinds of delicious stuff. It would be wonderful if you felt able to share this podcast on social media or with a friend uh, and if you can rate it and even leave a review, then that would just be wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>